Your neighbor Jim figured out that with MetroPCS, he gets unlimited data, talk, and text for $30, period. Babe, that color looks awesome. Just like he figured out that shopping with his wife will buy him a night with his buddies. That's Guy's Night Out figured out. You too figure it out. Switch to MetroPCS on the fast 4G LTE T-Mobile network for only $30, period. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Plan includes first one gigabyte of data at up to 4G LTE speeds. See store or MetroPCS.com for details and terms and conditions and data management info. Hello again, everyone. I'm Joe Longinusa, welcoming you to another edition of Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, the show where industry leaders, golf professionals, and legends all come and discuss the great game we love so much. So without further ado, let's turn it over to our host to tell us who's next on the T. Chris, take it away. Hey, thank you, Joe. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining me again this morning on Next on the T. I am your host, Chris Mascaro, and today, folks, we're going to have a lot of fun. I've got three great guests to share with you, so sit back, relax, and let us take your mind off everything else going on in your life for the next hour or so. First up with me this morning is going to be Dan Quinn. Hockey fans are going to remember what a great player Dan was for 14 seasons in the NHL. He's also been a caddy for several years, caddy for John Daly at the 2000 U.S. Open, caddy for Ernie Els and Juice Luton now. Um, we're going to talk about his time playing in the NHL with some of the greats he had the opportunity to play with. Plus, we're going to get his insights and thoughts about what it's like to be a caddy on the tour and what it's like to dominate the celebrity tour. Dan is going to be joining me here in just a few moments. Following Dan, we're going to get a return visit from one of my favorite guests, and that's LPGA pro Missy Bertiotti. You're going to recall that Missy played on the LPGA Tour for 14 years and uh, won over a million dollars in career earnings. She won the 1993 Ping Welch's Championship, plus had several top 10 finishes, including the 1988 LPGA Championship and uh, the U.S. Open. Uh, she's also one of the top instructors in the game, so we're going to talk a little bit more about her career plus the mental side of the game when she is here with me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll wrap up the show by talking with Jim Grunberg, who is the uh, co-owner of Seymour Putters, you know, one of our sponsors. Uh, you know, a Seymour putter was uh, was used by Payne Stewart, you know, during his career and also is the putter that Zach Johnson uses now as well. We'll talk about how Jim started the company, the ups and downs in the golf industry, plus what it was watch, what it was like watching Zach Johnson hold that birdie putt on the 18th hole at this year's Open Championship and then ultimately winning that event. Jim is going to be here with me about 45 minutes from now. So, folks, it's going to be another great show. I'm so glad you're here to take the journey with me, like I say, over about the next hour or so. Next on the Tee is brought to you today and every week by our friends over at Seymour Putters. Let's get things started by hearing uh, from a word from uh, our friends over there. Golfers, has this happened to you? Great drive. Perfect second shot on the green. Only the three or even four putts. Shaking your head all the way back to the cart. I have good news. Help is on the way with the Seymour Putter. The Seymour Putter Company patented RST technology sets up the putter perfectly every time using a visible gun sight on the top line. Genius! 
It's like locking radar onto the target, in this case, the golf hole, putting the golfer in perfect position to make a reliable and consistent stroke. The 1999 U.S. Open, 2007 Masters, and 2015 British Open champions all used, you guessed it, the Seymour putter. So if you're ready to make more putts, take strokes off your game, log on to Seymour.com. That's S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com, and put a Seymour putter in your bag today. Yeah, like Joe said, check out their rifle scope technology that has helped win three majors and 36 tour events and counting. It's helped me make more putts. I know it's going to help you as well. You can find them online at Seymour.com, and that is S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com and get one in your bag. You're going to be very glad you did. We're also sponsored by the French Lick Resort up in French Lick, Indiana. Folks, you want to talk about a spectacular resort to both play golf and to just relax and enjoy yourself. Well, you're not going to find a better place anywhere on the planet than the French Lick Resort. Go to FrenchLick.com and see for yourself. I had the privilege of taking my family there back in June, and we're already looking forward to getting back there just as soon as possible. The resort is historic and beautiful. It's got wonderful gardens in the back and a huge rocking chair front porch and the golf folks. Oh, my goodness, the golf. The French Lick course is kept in championship condition or the Pete Dye course is kept in championship condition year round and, and they could be ready to host a major at a moment's notice. They played this year's senior PGA championship and the LPGA Legends Championship just a few weeks ago. So if you've ever wondered what it would be like to play in a major, well, you can do it there at the Pete Dye course. They've also have a, a Donald Ross designed course, which is fantastic. It's the site of Walter Higgins PGA championship victory back in 1924. They've also got the Valley links course on the property that dates back to 1907. So the French Lick resort needs to be on your list of list of places to stay and play. And Oh, by the way, They've got a casino right there on the property as well. For more information and to book your stay, go to FrenchLick.com. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Allen Edmonds, makers of top quality made in the USA shoes. Folks, the shoes of great leaders from the Oval Office to corner offices to stage and screen and promising cubicles all around the country are a part of what make people successful. The right footwear is important on the carpets and the hardwood floors of our global economy. Get it right with Made in the USA quality and value from Allen Edmonds. Allen Edmonds is an American original. They've been making shoes right here in the U.S. and Wisconsin since 1922. Check them out online at allenedmonds.com. And we also want to kick off the show like we do every single week here by saluting the brave men and women serving in our military. We want to thank all of you for your daily sacrifices and for what you do every day to keep the rest of us safe. We also want to thank our veterans for all you've done for us over the years. We truly appreciate everything that our military personnel do to preserve our freedoms and our liberties. It's through your strength and your efforts that our way of life is even possible. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the wonderful folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It's an honor for us to have Next on the T be a part of your radio network. You can find us by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. We also want to continue to remind our veterans, please be sure to check out globalvoiceforveterans.org. It's a great site. You're going to find news and articles and a wealth of information that's specifically designed for our veterans out there that I'm sure you're going to find both interesting and beneficial. Again, globalvoiceforveterans.org. We also want to thank everyone listening in on the Internet. Great radio sites like iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes. 
Thank you for being a part of the show. We really appreciate it. Plus, if someone's dragging you to the mall or out to the grocery store, you're simply tired of the same old, same old on your commute, download the player.fm or Stitcher app on your smartphone so you can take us with you everywhere you go. Let us give you something fun to focus on while you're out and about. All right, now joining me on the Seymour Putters guest line is Dan Quinn. Let me give you some more background on Dan. He's from Ottawa, Ontario, and grew grew up in Brockville, Ontario. Played hockey in the NHL for 14 seasons for the Flames, Penguins, Canucks, Blues, Flyers, North Stars, Senators. And and as a guy from Pittsburgh, I I can't tell you how happy I was when the Flames traded Dan to the Penguins back in November of 1986. He was the co-winner of the Penguins Players Players Player of the Year Award for the 1986-87 season. That award is uh, award is voted on by the players, given to the guy who exemplifies leadership uh, both on and off the ice, plus also dedicated to great teamwork. Dan scored 266 career goals, had 419 assists, totaling 685 points. In golf, he's been a, one of the top players and a dominant player, for that matter, out on the Celebrity Tour. He's competed in the American Century Celebrity Classic for many years. He won it five times and finished in the top 10 18 times. He's caddied for several players out on tour, including John Daly at the 2000 U.S. Open, as well as for Ernie Els and Juice Luton. I'm incredibly excited to have him joining me this morning on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Dan. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Good morning. Dan, I got to start off talking about your time in the NFL, particularly your time with the Penguins. Like I mentioned a moment ago, so excited when you got traded to the Penguins. And, uh, you know, you had led the Ontario Hockey League in points and were clearly a bright young star. And, you know, we had this kid that that some folks may have heard of named Mario Lemieux. And so we had him. We got you. I thought, wow, this could really be something. Were, Were you happy to be traded there? And what was it like for you leaving the Flames to be a part of the Penguins? Um, well, yeah, you know, back then it was um, it was a unique time. Pittsburgh was just uh, in its infancy as an, uh, you know, an organization. Mario was in his, I think, third year. It was my fourth season. Um, I started in Calgary and was a Canadian kid and never really been in the United States. Um, I soon fell in love with Pittsburgh, called it home for 15 years. Uh, I met my still still wife, and my first two children were born there. So, um as far as that, uh, you know, they said Pittsburgh was what I used to always say a very underrated city, and, and uh, I, I mostly fell in love with it because of the summers and the golf and the great golf courses and the great golf community that's uh, that Pittsburgh does have. And um, as far as the Penguins, it was a treat. You know, Mary Lemieux. I, I did an interview on TSN the other day, which at my age, being a has been and all that, it's kind of nice to be talking and reminiscing about things like this, but. You know, nobody ever physically had the gifts that, uh, or the talents, um, the vision, the hands that couldn't get him off the puck like Mary Lemieux. And, and um, so he, he was, you know, the team was still trying to figure out which way he was going to go. I enjoyed four, four plus years there and, and some productive years. And was quite, quite disappointed when I got traded away because, um, as I said, I fell in love with the city of Pittsburgh and, and whatnot. So, um that team, uh, we did make Mario's first year in the playoffs. We, went, we beat the Rangers, swept them, went to in Philly, and we had, had just started to look like some potential to be a great team. Tom Barrasso had been acquired. Uh, Paul Coffey had been acquired. Kevin Stevens and Mark Recchi were just up and coming. So, uh, like I say, that uh, I don't think they, I think they might have missed the playoffs the first year or two that I was gone. And then, obviously, that Ron France, all Samuelson trade, put them over the top. But uh, uh, I'm bambling, but as I said, Pittsburgh was uh, probably my favorite place to play, and then 
for both reasons, for both sports, because I love playing for the Penguins and I love playing golf in the summer. And and you came back and ended your career in Pittsburgh. Was that was that where you wanted to end it? Talking, you know, was was that sort of orchestrated to bring you back and let you end your career as a member of the Penguins? No, I mean, exactly. It wasn't orchestrated. It was I was supposed to be productive, but I wasn't. Uh, it's was, you know, still probably when you, when I look back, one of my biggest regrets. I don't know that I was. That was a tough team. It was again in figuring out its identity. Jagger uh, was gone. Uh, a couple of those the guys I just mentioned had, had you know. And moved moved to a different team, and uh, Mary was at had some health here. It wasn't the, the you know the top of everything, or or driven maybe as he was, he was five six years earlier. Ronnie France was getting old, so as I said, it was just uh, I didn't play well enough. That's all I did. So that was it, and I'm, I had that firm you know that thought of pursuing golf, and, and sort of made it an easy decision to sort of you know get going and start hitting playing year round, uh, playing the sport of golf year round. Mario has a uh, celebrity invitational tournament every year. Do you get the opportunity to go back and be a part of that event? I have not. I've been uh, been in Florida almost 15 years full time. Um, I did it in infancy when it was you know a competitive event, playing it and help help organize it when it was out in Nevillewood. But uh, I have not been, uh, as I said, since I've been down in Florida since I don't know 01 or 2000. How's uh curious? How's Mario's golf game? I haven't. I don't know how much he plays, and I haven't played with him in a, in a few years. But uh, I, I always say this is, you know, when he was healthy, he had. A, you know, we used to play each other a lot uh, in the late '80s, early him and, and all through the '90s in Pittsburgh. And you know, he was as good as there was. Uh, you know, he had a great golf swing and, and just hadn't played as a kid a whole lot. So tournament golf or some some things, you know, putting and stuff like that, uh, you know, maybe weren't his strong suits at times. But like I said, he shot a lot of great rounds. He also, I think. You mentioned I won the, the tournament in Lake Tahoe five times, and uh, he was the only other hockey player uh, to have won it as well. So uh, I think in '97 or '8 or something like that. So, um, right. but uh, yeah, it was Mario was a Mario was you know, really good hockey, uh, really good golfer, and uh, I'm sure he still is. So you know, Dan, talk about you know the transition, you know, from from leaving the game of hockey behind, and then you know getting more and more involved. And obviously, you're 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 a great golfer. So talk about what what was the transition like for you, leaving leaving the NHL, and then you know getting out and you know developing your own game, becoming a caddy, you know participating on the Celebrity Tour. What was that like for you? Well, you know, the, it was probably as I said, looking back, you kind of wish you maybe would have applied yourself a little bit more. The the tournament Lake Tahoe. Uh, I'd always played golf and tournament golf as a kid, and it it was uh, sort of put on the back burner when I you know, turned pro into the NHL. So when we um, had the opportunity to go play out in Tahoe and start competing again, I fell in love with that part of golf, which was competing. Luckily, I won that tournament and, and so on and so forth. So when I did retire from hockey, I did play some, you know, at the time, Nike Tour events. I had qualified on my own when it was a Hogan event, actually a Quicksilver in Pittsburgh. Um and so I, I, as I said, I pursued it for four or five years, but not rigorously or like uh, you know like it w- would have been required to make it on the tour. Uh, not to say that I was good enough, but I did did really have the, the passion to maybe see if that was possible. Um, when I started the caddy, it was really a yes for fun. Uh, he was the, a friend of mine who I did, wasn't looking to do it as a profession or anything like that, but it, he'd asked me to go do some stuff, and I did about six tournaments for him or eight tournaments for him when he was in 03, 04 which led to uh, when I was in between jobs uh, some three or four years later, an opportunity, you know, Ernie Ells asked me to go work for him. And 
it was uh, started out as just a trip to Asia, but in our second second event, we came second in a World Golf Championship, um, HSBC, and shooting 63 on Sunday with a bogey in the last. Uh, I think Nicholson beat us, and it sort of started a, a nice relationship. Well, you know, up and down relationship over the next four years, where I, I did a bunch of events for him, and uh, uh, we we had a win at the PJ Grand Slam, and we also um, at Marion in Pennsylvania, we came fourth two years ago. So it was uh, that, and then it just sort of became what I was paying the bills with you know so I, I kept doing it and I, I worked uh, a little bit too much with a kid in Europe last year which was very hard on my family and I, I committed to do it through the end of the year but I ended up working 21 or 22 weeks out of 32 weeks um, and I, but we didn't move forward into 2015 and I recently just did a seven or eight events for a, a young kid from Australia again finishing fourth at Chambers Bay but uh, right now I am playing a lot I'm 50 and I've, I'm actually just driving to North Carolina as we speak to play in a mini tour event and uh, that's where I'm at. So that's that's sort of my status right now. Yeah. And, and you know, Dan, you you were witness to uh, probably one of the uh, the great meltdowns on the on the PGA Tour. You caddy for John Daly at the 2000 U.S. Open. Had a front row seat <laughs> to that event. He took a a 14 on the on the par five finishing hole in the first round at Pebble Beach, hitting I think one into someone's backyard and three out into the Pacific Ocean. Stormed off the course after completing his is the round of 83 didn't come back uh, for, for the second round. What was it like being that close to something like that? You know, I was, uh, it was his friend, uh, his manager was a friend of mine who was, I was doing some stuff with at the time as well. He, he was the one that put it together. And so I'd gone out. Um, John was only, it was a weird day. It was a fog day that anybody watched the 2000 open. We were paired coincidentally with another Pennsylvania uh, staying on the long on those lines with Rocco Mediate and, and Retief Goosen. And he played, uh, John had played fairly well. It was like three over, but to your point, he just, he blocked one on 18 and it was foggy and the people didn't really tell him it was out of bounds and it was just across the path and like in somebody's yard and it wasn't even that bad a drive. So we gave him a ball and he went back and I had the bag up by that tree in the middle of the fairway and boom, they don't started halfway to Japan. So I had to get out of the get on a golf cart and zip back with another ball with, and he proceeded to hit another one in there. And then he hit a five iron, described a five iron, hit that, so what's that, one, three, five, seven in the fairway. Then he laid up into the ocean. So it, was, uh, <laughs> it wasn't the most pleasant uh, afternoon I'd ever, morning, I guess. But uh, it was neat. John's a great, you know, great talent, and um, I think you'll see in a year he's going to find his own rhythm and have a nice little five- or seven-year run in the senior tour. Mm-hmm. Was that was that the the first and only time you were on John's bag, or did you have an opportunity to caddy with him more often? No, at that time, like I said, it was 2000. I was playing a ton. Uh, was play, there was a, there was an abundance of those celebrity tournaments, as you called them, um, yeah. or as they were called. And so we, you know, they sort of dried up about three or four years later. But uh, at that time, I was playing 12 or 14 events myself, trying to play some professional, uh, true professional golf as well. So I wasn't mm-hmm. looking to caddy and. And not, but uh, John's. Uh, we've run into each other. We still, you know, I'm still a big fan of his. And, and like I said, I think he'll. I think he just turned 49. So within the next half a year or two, uh, eight, eight, nine months, you'll see him out there kicking everybody's butt. <laughs> and like you said, you you spent a lot. You you spent some time with Ernie. When I think about you know contrasting personality types. You know, boy, John Daly to Ernie Els is probably as, as 180 as you can get from from one another. When you when you're out there caddying for a guy, you know, and and, and you know things are headed south or or, or whatever, you know, talk about the caddy's role. I mean, I, it's 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 well beyond just giving somebody yardages. Talk about what what other things 
you're out there talking to your guy about or, you know, what it's like being inside the ropes, if you will. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they, well, you know, the profession as a whole, or the reason somebody like myself would do it, obviously the purses have, have grown and, and the, the job has sort of been glorified by a few of the successful <clears throat> caddies out there. I guess I could start with fluff. You know, you wouldn't be you know, your, your typical guy, but the, the, you know, Stevie Williams has obviously had great success, made a, made a heck of a living. And, and then everybody sees sort of the dream scenario, which would be Bones and, and Phil, which lasts 20 some odd years, you know, no breakups. And, you know, they've won 40 some odd tournaments in, on the PJ tour. Uh, that said, you know, the job's still a very difficult one. It's, um, to your point, that's, I, I say that all, all the time. Anybody can caddy for a guy when he's playing well. It's when, you know, like when Dustin Johnson makes an eight at the PGA. I mean, that's when you got to, you got to have a really make sure you don't go dead quiet on them or say the wrong thing to set them off even further. And, and, uh, obviously you've got to, you're on the hook all the time, providing information, whether it's wind direction, yardages, clubs, uh, you know, elevation changes, all that stuff. But, uh, I think you just hit the very astute question, to be honest. It's when something's not going to right, especially if they're in the hunt or trying to make a cut, you've got to really make sure you stay in uh, your own, don't get flustered with them or make sure you don't annoy them even further and or somehow, sometimes they need a, 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 a polite kick in the butt and sometimes they need a nice, you know, you really got to hold their hand for a hold or two just to keep them going. But uh, every, every player's different and every relationship's different. Uh, but the profession as a whole, as I said, now they're playing for seven, like eight million bucks a week. There's uh, a lot of guys have come out and, and are treating it professionally. There's not uh, not guys carrying on at night anymore. Uh, you know, they're 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 in the gym as well, and uh, you know you're seeing a lot of great successful teams out there. I guess we'll be watching this afternoon, namely you know Jason Day right now. Those guys are hot as hot. Jordan Spieth and his right. guys. You got a, you got a lot of guys that weren't looking to be caddies, and they've grown into the job. Uh, one was a golf teacher in, in Colin who works for Jason and Michael Greller was a teacher out in Seattle. And now he's, you know, he's probably top 30 in the money list this year. <laughs> right. It, you know, it, to the point about, you know, what's going on out there, you know, even for yourself when, when you're playing or maybe, you know, when, when you've been on the bag for somebody, when, when things are going south, do you, is it all, does it all stay on golf or does it, you know, do, does it help you? And has it helped other guys that you've been with to maybe talk about something else? Hey, you know, whether it's a sporting event or, you know, your time in hockey to get you, you know, all right, let's get this off your mind. Let's focus on a happy thought here and, you know, and, and then bring you back to the moment. What What's it like trying to get, you know, get the mind, you know, because we talk about so often on the show that, you know, the, the, the mental side of the game is so much a part of playing the game of golf. Does it help to get the mind off of you know what's going wrong and and happy get to a happy place and then bring you back. Again, it's a trick box, right? Like I said, I, I agree with you. I know how hard it is sometimes on the first tee. Uh, I'll use my example this year. Uh, Chambers Bay, we were paired with Louis Oosthuizen and uh, this young Aussie that I was paired with, and I could tell there was just this nervous energy on the first tee. So I just I grabbed the other caddy and I said, you know what? I was just thinking. They're all like, oh my God, what's he going to say? I was thinking how hard, everybody's talking about how hard Chambers Bay is to walk. I said, do you imagine how long it would take a foursome of 20 handicappers to play this place? The point <laughs> being is I took their mind off of the first shot and, and you know, the six-hour round that those caddies put carrying those bags, there's no car pass at Chambers Bay if you watched. All of a sudden, we're chuckling away and laughing away, and, and you know, uh, Louis finished third and we finished fourth. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a knowing that I know what it's like to be nervous. I know what it's like also to have 20,000 people staring at you where there's, you know, there's no out if you don't play well. Um, you know, there's a, it's a, it's a real fine line. And there's also a time, you know, for me, if I was the player, 
I mean, you got to be careful because I'm, if I if I want to get mad at myself, you got to let me be mad for a little bit, you know. And you can't tell them, oh, it's okay. You know, no, it's not okay. I got I'm just I can't believe I just did that. You know, what a mistake I just made. What a bad shot I did. I didn't commit to it. You know, so sometimes you got to let a player have his little moment to get mad at himself and kick himself in the butt, and then uh, make sure if you know him well enough not to let it get to where it becomes uh, you know backfires. And, and if now it's gone three or four holes too far. Um, that's what you'll see. I mean, the, the ones that know how to keep them in, the guys are really good now. You're talking about mental. There's a lot of mental preparation just as much as there is physical preparation in professional golf now. They've all learned uh, over the years it doesn't do you any good, using the John Daly example, it doesn't do you any good most for the most part to, to get into that mode where you you make one mistake and next thing you know you've made a massive number. So uh, they, they, they all work on uh, – mental the mental aspect of the game as well so the, the caddies have a little bit easier job than probably 15 20 years ago from that perspective you know where a guy could just get sour and you know go crazy on it but um it's really it's really evolved and i'm um again if i'm you got another question go on but i i'd say i was saying this to a friend and actually with ernie on wednesday night the, the evolution of the sport in just five years six years to me is absolutely incredible by that i mean tiger phil ernie steve stricker Furick, you know five six years ago Mid to late 30s, early 40s kind of guys dominating the game. They were, I was counting for anywhere one, two in the FedEx with Furyk and Stricker. And here we are five years later, and you got guys under the age of 25. Um, clearly, if you include Rory, 26 and under, Jason Day, 26, 27, that are so far beyond how good uh, everybody was six years ago. It's it's amazing to me. So there's a lot more coming. There's a lot of young kids that are fearless, that are using the mental aspects like we're talking about, that physically prepare and have the skill and the talent. So uh, golf's just going through the roof with the quality, especially at the top of the leaderboards. We're talking to a hockey legend and one of the great uh, players out on the celebrity tour and, and, and uh, caddies as well, Dan Quinn. Dan, you know, a couple of things you just mentioned, a couple more before we let you go. But one of the things that you just talked about or just said was committing to a shot. Right. I think that's where, you know, we amateurs, the hackers out there, we we get into a, a problem of decelerating the club because we we see the shot and we imagine the shot. But we you know, we I, I think we we don't believe we can actually pull it off after we've taken the club back and we're starting into our downswing. Talk about the importance of committing to a shot. Well, I'll, you know, I'll back it up because it's fresh in my mind. I just I had a little money game with some friends yesterday down in Florida and we've had a really wet week. So. To your point, your question, I had a, I had, I was playing good. I was like two under par, and not, not, not that that has anything to do with the story. But on the last hole, I needed to make a three against this one guy, and he'd hit the green, and I had 152, and it was either a, a big for me, a big, big nine iron. I had a little bit of helping wind, which probably, if I really flushed it, could have got it there. Instead, I went with that chippy easy eight, which I came out of, and it's, it's a lot harder shot to control. Whereas when I caddy or when I'm with the, you know, the tour pros, they generally don't like to hit that half shot. They want to hit something full. Um, maybe a little bit harder, not kill it, but they'd rather try to get an extra five or seven yards um, trying to hit something hard than to take five or seven yards off of it. Um, I always say to my players, uh, generally say, listen, whatever we do, let's talk about it. And if you're not sure, don't swing it. I mean, if, let's be, if we're going to be wrong, let's at least commit to being wrong. <laughs> you gotta, <laughs> you're not going to hit a good shot. You're not going to hit a good shot if you don't think it's the right club and then if it is the wrong, wrong club, but, you know, you have to, there's an art to that as a caddy. You sort of talk to player and get by giving them the information that I'm quite confident you can't hit nine iron over and that pin's only got four behind it. So go at it as good as you like. And if you're not comfortable with that, you know, let's, let's hit a wedge then, you know, but I'm pretty sure you can hit that nine. I'm, I'm confident you can hit that nine as far as you can. So commit to it. 
Otherwise, if the player doesn't think he can hit that thing, not you know, he might come out of it and hit it in a bunker and plug, and now you're you know you're in trouble. So, I think as a rule, you just try to. As I said, I think the biggest difference to what you just said, or even myself yesterday, is we we generally will take one too many club, especially if we're a little bit nervous. Whereas a pro will probably take one less, make sure they get it just on the green. If the pin's 22 on and they know they got enough to get to the front, they're going to go ahead and hit it, you know, eight or nine on. And worst case, they got a 25 footer to the back pin. Um, some some people, if I've heard them say on TV, that amateurs generally under club, but I find that that is true sometimes. But if you played a little bit or try to play a tournament, you know when you're a little bit nervous, you generally end up taking one more club. If it's a five iron, you're like, oh, maybe I'll just hit an easy four iron. You know, tour pros generally will go if it's a five iron, they might hit a hard six just to make sure they make a good aggressive move at it and commit to it. Hmm. That's great advice. And and Dan, one more before we let you go. Like I said, you know, throughout this, you you've been a dominant player out there on the on the celebrity tour for years. You know, when you're sitting back with the fellas and you're telling stories, you know, sharing about the times that you played out on on that uh, on that tour. What what are what is what's the what's one of the stories that you like to share with folks? <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking about that. Yeah, I'm, fed, I'm in the middle of a uh, eight hour car ride from Jupiter, so I'm almost in uh, at Pinehurst. So. In that, you get a lot of time to think, but I couldn't imagine back mentioning stories or back when I played if there was social media. <laughs> but yeah. you know, we had, uh, you know, the, the tweeting and all that stuff now. But uh, I was right. very fortunate, uh, not to name drop, but, you know, that from playing golf with Michael Jordan and John Elway, obviously Mary Lemieux. Um, we've had so much good times. Uh, some of the guys that I'm a big fan of. Um, for me personally, obviously winning in Tahoe five times was, was fun. But there's, there was a lot of times when there was just a lot of, you know, guys, guys, times that, you know, can never probably be duplicated uh, just from playing golf with some big guys and then, you know, having a few beers after and listening to Michael Jordan tell a story about a basketball game or John Elway talking about uh, throwing a football. And, you know, we've even had time. I, I, one of my favorites, because real quick, because uh, I was drafted in 83, so was Elway. But I was in Calgary and Denver was the sister city. So long story short, those were the games before DirecTV that we had on uh, every week so when i got to meet him in 92 or three we ended up on a, having a few beers after a round of golf and next thing you know we're out on the 18th green he's quarterback for both teams and we're playing three on three <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know that kind of stuff you know and he's you know he's john elway 1992 93 i mean he's you're trying to catch a ball from him coming at you like a p you know putting that big you know the t of the football in your chest you know i was still playing in the nhl so i mean things like that probably never happen again those were just good times and uh as I said, you know, went to the Ryder Cup with Michael Jordan and Mario and I and, and Elway in 1999. You know, that was just a terrific week wow. uh, up in Brookline. So things like that that I got to do through, you know, like just being a decent golfer and you know, having played a sport, you know. Um, now that, I, as I said, I'm 50, you, know, you kind of get nostalgic when, you know, when you meet your milestone sort of number. So I look back on a lot of stuff and uh, probably didn't realize how lucky I was at the time. It was uh, It was certainly a, a great experience. Yeah, no doubt. That's great stuff. Good for you, Dan. Dan, as we uh, let you go here, t- tell our listeners, you know, you mentioned social media. Is there a way for our listeners to keep in touch with you, both uh, whether it's online or over social media, keep track of what you're doing? Yeah, I just I, I set up a Twitter thing. I don't know what – I think it's my email address, so it's like DQ Home Quinn or something on Twitter, and that's the only thing I'm kind of doing, mostly to follow my daughters. <laughs> <laughs> to see what they're doing, you know, what they're posting. But uh, I kind of, you know, somebody asked me about it. It's just, I don't really tweet a lot, but it's kind of fun to, you pick up a lot of good stuff on it. And I'm, I'm surprised how much I'm sort of semi-addicted to it and following Canadian tour or the PGA tour. Um, you must make sure you do me one favor when you hang up with me. It's one of my favorite people is Missy Bertiotti. 
tell her I said hello. <clears throat> her dad was a great friend of mine, Jerry, who's just you know, passed away some years ago. Um, we were members of the same course. We lived on the same course in Pittsburgh, uh, called Nevillewood, in the nineties. And I played a lot of golf with Jerry, great old guy. And then Missy and I played when she was on tour in the uh, early nineties, I'm going to say whenever she was trying to do. It. And then she, I think she started a family and all that stuff, but she's just a sweetheart of a lady. Please tell her I said hello. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure she's listening in and, and hearing that, but, uh, she's one of our favorite people as well. Dan, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning, out of your drive to be a part of the show. Hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. I'm sure you got a lot more great stories and there's a lot more great insights that uh, we'd love to hear from you. You're fantastic. Well, if you give me, especially if you get about three or four beers in me, then I'll never shut up. So um, <laughs> you got my cell, you got my cell phone. Call me anytime. I appreciate it, Dan. Take care. All the best to you and your family. Cheers. Thank you. That's Dan Quinn, you know, NHL legend, played 14 seasons. Like I say, one of my favorite Penguins from back in the day. And, uh, you know, great stories with the caddies. And I love that Elway Jordan piece. That's had to be a lot of fun. we got to tap into that hopefully a little bit more next time. All right, we've got our next guest, Missy Bertiotti, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Missy on the other side of this station identification. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. Now joining me on uh, the Seymour Putters guest line, making her thir- third appearance on the show. And uh, like I say, one of my favorite people that I've ever had the opportunity to uh, to have on the show and uh, to get to know a little bit is Missy Bertiotti. Let me remind you a little bit more about Missy's background. Like we say, born and raised in my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So you know she's awesome right there. She won back-to-back <laughs> Pennsylvania State Championships in 1980 and 81, attended the University of Miami on a full golf scholarship. She was a part of their 1984 national championship team, receiving medalist honors. She played 14 years out on the LPGA Tour and won the 1993 Ping Welch's Championship up in Boston. She had several top 10 finishes out on tour, including a couple of LPGA majors like the 1988 LPGA Championship and the 88 U.S. Open. She was the first ever women's golf coach at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, and now she's focusing her time on golf instruction, both with the mechanics of the game and the mental side of the game. And like I say, she's become a wonderful friend and someone I enjoy having so much fun on this show with. And I'm excited that she's back with me this morning and next on the tee. Hey, Missy, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Chris. Thank you for all that. I'm feeling very flattered, very honored. Thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. Did you hear Dan? Dan Quinn, a moment ago, pass along his hello. That's what I mean. I'm sure it's so nice to hear that. I haven't seen Dan in so long. And, Dan, if you're listening, and we miss you. I don't, I, it's not the same. But, no, I really I, I miss you. We, Dan and I had a lot of fun. You know, the different stages of life. When he mentioned a few of those stories about, you know, that time might never happen again, playing football with John Elway and things like that, it's, I wish I would have known it more when I was doing it because I played with all those great guy athletes. I didn't realize hey, this might be the last round I play. And, and it, and it yeah. was. I haven't played with Dan in probably, I don't know, eight years, nine years. Wow. At least the last. Before, so thank you, Dan. Miss you. Absolutely. And miss you. Before we get started into, into all the great things I want to talk to you about this morning, I'd ask you right up top, how's your son doing? How's the tennis game? Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah, I think the, his tennis game is pretty good. I'm very proud of him. He, I think living in a residential golf community, every member, I think the first statement they would say to Sam for the last you know, 15 years is, 
have you beat your mom yet? You know, when we're riding around <laughs> the golf cart with our golf clubs on. So I think, to be honest, I think he got sick of it and said, and he genuinely liked tennis a lot. I just think he just said, you know what, I'm tired of all this mommy talk. I'm getting in my own world. So he, I'm glad I didn't play tennis. All those guys do is run. Oh, he's, in, <laughs> he's, in, <laughs> he's in great shape. He works hard. He's, you know, he's healthy. He's learning all that stuff, how to compete. So, and he still is a great golfer. So I'm, I'm happy with him. I'm proud of him. And the only person that's really mad is grandma. <laughs> <laughs> It's all good. That's great. Good for him. Good for you. Missy. Yeah, thank you. What a, one of the things that uh, I'm getting excited to see gaining some momentum out uh, out out in golf is the Legends Tour on the LPGA side. I know, you know, one of one of the sponsors, you know, that we have here on this show is the the French Lick Resort up in French Lick, Indiana. They recently hosted one of the Legends events. I believe you've played you know, in a couple of those events over the years. Talk about what you're hearing about uh, how things are going over on the LPGA's, Le- LPGA's Legends Tour. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I just returned home from Boston a day ago from a Legends event. So oh, I very good. Up, yeah, it was my first one all year. I had a sur- uh, shoulder surgery earlier this year. So that was, I've had a left knee, left hip, left shoulder. So you talk about teaching a young junior correctly from the beginning as to not get all those injuries. So that's definitely a, a priority of mine. But I've, uh, you know, I'm a yoga queen. I'm a health queen, all this stuff. But being just years of banging, banging, and maybe stressing it. So regardless, so anyways, I'm healed up. I went and played my first event. It was just a one-day shootout pro-am. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed to be. I shot a smooth seventy nine. It was pretty easy. <laughs> pretty, it's it's um, it's pretty. There's a part of me that, well, let's let's forget that. For, regardless, I had a great time seeing everybody. I did talk to the ladies who run it. Jane Blaylock is very is is the founder. Rosie Jones is the president. They are gaining a lot of momentum, and I think the fans. We had so many fans out on the Cape. I think, not to dismiss the quality of the golf that's out there on the tour now, the figures, yeah. the personalities back when, I think that's who most of the, the, the American golf public comes to watch. We have a lot of fans. Jan Stevenson was there, Pat Bradley, Joanne Carner. I mean, there were 80 ladies here, 80 legends. Wow. So, yeah, it, it's really great. They have a good business model and... I think a lot of the companies that do partner up with the legends, they really feel like their clients are well treated. They're really catered to. We ladies, I think we really do go the extra. It's not hard. I think genuinely our personalities, we want to make sure these men and women who play have a great day. So so I think um, it's, you know, everything's looking good it's really looking good out there yeah and i think you know one one of the great parts about you know you know the ladies legends tour is you know the fan access i mean it, you know right. i know from the from the event up at french lake no ropes right no ropes exactly you get the, you get the opportunity <laughs> to get really close and and uh, i think to have more of a personal interaction with the ladies out there and i think that's you know on top of you know i mean they're great ladies great players 
but I think on top of all of that, it's the opportunity to, you know, to maybe shake a hand and, and, you know, ask a question or two or, or to see, you know, the ladies up close, you know, and personal and get to have more of a personal interaction. I think that's one of the great things that they are doing that I, I really wish, you know, some of the other tours would, uh, would adopt as well. I think you're right. You know what, Chris, as I've gotten older and you see things from different perspectives, I, I'm doing more uh, seminars now and speaking engagements, so I've been studying speaking, so to speak. I've been going to Toastmasters and ProMasters for years, and I get coaching on my presentations, but a lot of the coaching is you're very relaxed, you're very comfortable in front of an audience, and you know they they spend months, years teaching some students how to do that, and they're telling me I'm decent at that already. And I do believe it is. I know it's from my upbringing. We we had to on our tours. You are one foot from your fans you, all day, every day. We are interacting. It is not like Dan. Mm. He can put on a put on a helmet, put the uh, the shield down, you know, over your eyes, cover your eyes with those guys in the basketball. They just get out there. They they're protected. They're engaged in their game. They're totally focused, and they don't really have that interaction. I think, honestly, my son is so, she's, you know, developing. I miss that for him with tennis. Same thing. They get in between those lines. Golf is unbelievable. Yeah. It really requires them to stretch, to stretch ourselves. We all want to be selfish. We all want to be, you know, self-centered. But, and the ladies are fantastic. Julie Inkster just won in French Lake. Laura Davies is out there now. So we have a, we have some great people out there. And, and and to that end, Missy, you know, as as we look uh, into the future, uh, I, do you have other events that you're going to be out there playing? I, how can how can our you know our listeners uh, maybe get uh, a, a moment with you? Well, I'm not scheduled to play much. Uh, that I think there's one or two more in November down in Tampa for the ladies. Right now, my I have no you know ranking or status. I'd have to get out there and build my my resume out on the Legends Tour, and I. That hasn't been a priority. I have two more years. I have an 11th grader at home. I, I do a lot of teaching, and I do a lot of tennis caddying. <laughs> so um, I, I think I'm just trying to enjoy the stage I'm in professionally and personally. Yeah. You know, I miss it. Believe me, I miss it. But I just, I, I'm having it. I'm, I'm really, I'm having a good time. Good for you. Yeah. Well, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the things that uh, you know you're teaching your you know your students and and the folks that you have the opportunity to speak with. And you know we were talking to to Dan Quinn a moment ago about you know some of the time that he has spent out caddying. He was uh, he was a caddy for uh, John Daly at one of his big meltdowns at the you know 2000 U.S. Open. You are you're such a wonderful teacher of the game of golf. And one of the many programs you have is about the mental side of the game. For those of us that go through having a bad hole or having a bad stretch of holes? What can we do to kind of get our minds to calm down and to move on, accept that adverse adversity, and still enjoy however many holes we have left out there to play? Yeah, that is such a great question. In fact, yesterday I was listening to Bob Rotella on the radio, and I've worked with Bob for years on tour and have since been working with Rick Jensen with a lot of my programs. He's another sports psychologist. And that is the what, the $64 million question? I think, here's how I would answer that. I think the game of golf is so great 
again, this is looking back with this perspective of my age, it requires a physical aspect to play well in the game. It requires a, like physical fitness. It requires a technical aspect, all your mechanics. It requires a, uh, an emotional component to be able to respond and react, and mental, how to focus. But it really does also, which most people, I think, completely overlook, requires a social aspect. And that social aspect I would describe as, you know, embarrassment and and concern for how you look and just sheer embarrassment. There's no other way to say it. And you cannot, I don't think you can under underestimate what a role that plays. And kids, adults, businessmen and women, especially successful men and women in their respective fields, when you put them on the golf course, it is neutralized. You are stripped naked and you are <laughs> going to look and you, Nine up, nine point nine chances out of ten, you are going to be embarrassed. And I think the people, you know, if I had a like a two minute conversation like this, how I would advise people to have a mental toughness, if so to speak, is to prepare yourselves to be to shoot bad shots. Prepare yourself how you're going to respond. Learn to laugh at yourself. Know. Just know that it doesn't mean you're terrible and that you're not going to shoot always bad shots. You just have to handle being embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how else. I don't know how else to say it. The game. Yeah. The game will do that to you. <laughs> Indeed, it will. Missy, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it isn't just the pros that have to deal with, you know, fear and, 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 and playing under pressure on a golf course. You know, for those of us that are out there playing with our buddies on weekends, whether, you know, it's our, you know, in, internal competition within our, our foursome or you're out playing in a member guest tournament. I mean, th- there's pressure at every level of the game that we bring upon ourselves. What, what are some of the things that you share with regular golfers on how to keep themselves, I don't know, to deal with the fear, but also to sort of keep themselves in the moment? Yeah. Again, these are all great questions. What I would say, especially for the golfer who doesn't golf often, you know, we we pros practice being in that state a lot. We are in that state more often, so we we are more familiar with what works and what doesn't when we're under that situation. But the amateur golfer is not, so they're not as as familiar. What I would tell them is, we're all a lot of us. I think just just in general in America want to be perfectionists, want to strive hard. They think working harder means doing better, performing better. But I think it, I know it doesn't work in golf. And I'm still tempted. Believe me, I'm still tempted. I still want to work hard. But when you're playing, the best advice I can give a amateur golfer, and especially young 13-year-old, you know, those go-getter kids, those type A athletes, you really have to, I try to tell them to laugh a lot. You really have to, not laugh a lot, but engage a lot, talk a lot. If you are if you don't have a playing partner that talks to you, I used to go talk to the fans. I would just w- start walking over. I needed to get normal, so to speak. Because when I kept thinking only about my shots, you get down, I would get down this tunnel and I, it, you're just, your body loses its coordination, the naturalness, the instinctiveness. Yes, athleticism. Mm-hmm. So I try to tell players, 
I I would eat. I would do things. Everything that could keep me keeping normal. Conversation, eating, stretching. I used to stretch a lot. Something to get physical. Things like that. And then and and then always always I used to try to make uh, my son like how how do you want to be after you hit a bad shot like what do you want to say do you have a one liner do you have a like a little um, routine after you hit a bad shot that can kind of alleviate that tension you know when everybody's afraid to say anything and it's all yeah. tense and quiet just say something to cut the ice and to make yourself smile and relax to get ready for the next shot that's I think that's what I would say. Missy, one more be, before we let you go. And like I mentioned at the top, you you spent 14 years playing out on the LPGA tour, and like you say, you played in a couple of the, these legends events. Now, when when you're sitting around with you know with with the with the other players or or your friends, whether it's at the 19th hole or you're speaking at an event, you know, what's one of the favorite stories that you like to share about your time uh, being out there playing on tour? <laughs> yeah, I was listening to Dan. You know, I saw Pat yesterday, Pat Bradley, a couple of days ago in the Boston Legends event. Um, I'll tell you this one. This is cute. It's, it's again, along the same lines of fear. You know, you're a rookie on the tour playing with these Hall of Famers. And Pat Bradley, she was tough to play with. She wasn't, she wasn't concerned about me and making me feel welcome. She was trying to get into the Hall of Fame the years I was playing the most with her. She needed one or two more. So, oh, she she just really had me uh, self-conscious. It's the best way I can describe it. So every time I'd see her, I'd kind of squirm, you know, and I couldn't relax and play well. So I finally admitted it to her. I was this kind of chip on the shoulder trying to be a tough young girl, and it, it didn't work. <laughs> and only until I finally kind of, you know, addressed her in the locker room and said, hey, am I – have I pissed you off? Have I, <laughs> did, I, did I do something? And she looked at me totally stunned and said, Missy, I'm so sorry you feel that way. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I think you're a great person, great player, which was a shock to me at the time. I'm 22. But just acknowledge, finally addressing it and acknowledging what really helped her not helped me. And then when I played with her years later, around later, it was better. But yesterday, it was so funny. So this is 10 years later, fast forward. I see her yesterday, and I come walking up, and I had a bucket golf hat on. It was really hot. It was really hot. And somebody said, who is that? I didn't recognize me. And they said, oh, that's Bert. And Bradley goes, oh, she's got on that effing hat. I thought she said that effing hat. And again, right away, I got all, like, nervous. And I looked at her, and I said, did you say you have on the effing hat? And she started laughing. She goes, no, Missy, I said you have on that bucket hat. <laughs> I said, oh, my gosh. We were, five of us on the on the practice round were cracking up laughing. I, I just, it's just a competitor's, you know, a chip on your shoulder. Right again, I thought, this lady thinks I'm a son of a gun. She's telling me she's making fun of my effing hat. <laughs> That's a great story. Missy, yeah. remind our listeners again how they can find you online, your website, missybertiotti.com, but talk about what they can find on your website, plus how they can follow you over social media. Oh, thank you, Chris. What I love to do now, I teach, you know, I teach on the range, which where I'm standing right now, but I 
what I really most love is teaching these kids in a group class. We go indoors, and we ha- we hit plastic balls in a little gymnasium, and we talk. Of, we do the mental mastery program, and we simulate all the all those settings that I just described. A, a veteran Hall of Famer looking at you, giving you the up and down, how to handle that, how to learn how to breathe, how to deal with your pre-shot routine, post-shot routine, stuff like that. It's easy to say that. Your mom says, don't worry, Missy. You know, as a young 15-year-old, go trust yourself. Well, what are some trust drills you can do, like tangible hitting drills for putting and hitting? And we practice those indoors, and they're really helpful. I wish I would have learned them at 15 instead of 30. But that's that's what I am. So it's missybirdieye.com. And I've branched out. We're teaching women now. Business women were coming to me, asking me for those same set of skills, which was really surprising to me. So um, I do a business golf academy for just business women, and it's all business, the business golf academy. And we do the same thing for women, indoor group training, talk about these issues, absolutely do the mechanics. And people realize, the women realize, oh, I can. I play with so many, no disrespect, lousy male golfers, but they're, they they play. They get in the programs and they play and they have fun and they interact and they network and their businesses thrive, do better you know, because of that, whereas the women, they're afraid to get in there and mix it up and we want the women to get in there. So I'm enjoying everything. Good for you. Missy, yeah. you're so wonderful. It's always such such a special thing for me to get the opportunity to spend some time with you. I hope you'll come back again soon and share more of your, your thoughts and your insights, some of your lessons that you have on your website, which are fantastic. Uh, I really enjoy the opportunity to get spent, get to spend time with you. Thanks a lot, Chris. I'll, thanks a lot. I'll tell you about the new uh, baseball academy This my neighbor in Pittsburgh is building. We're going to teach group lessons for the kids in there, the mental mastery. So, I'm excited about that. I'll, I'll, we'll definitely visit again. Thank you for having me, Dan. Thanks for your your mentioning of me. It's, I'm the great golf world, and thank you guys. Bye, Dan. Uh, all right, take care, Missy. We'll catch you. We'll catch up with you again real soon. Bye, Chris. Thank you. All right, take care, Missy. It's a great Missy Bertiotti, missybertiotti.com. Great stuff on her website. A lot of good videos. A lot of good insights. A lot of good things about the mental side of the game that uh, we can all use so very much all right we've got our next guest uh, hanging on the line jim grudberg we're going to get to jim on the other side of this message from our friends over at the french lick resort you just can't beat this weather the leaves are starting to change it's the perfect time to get away to french lick resort and play the courses the champions play this year the pete die course at french lick has hosted the senior pga championship and the legends of the lpga championship Play our Donald Ross course and feel like 1924 PGA champion Walter Hagen. Fall is the perfect time to play the courses the champions play at French Lick Resort. Book our Hall of Fame package now at FrenchLick.com. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. Now joining me on the Seymour Putters guest line is the owner of Seymour Putters, Jim Grunberg. And let me give you some more background on Jim. Back in 1983, he was in management for Wilson Sporting Goods and was there for 10 years. In 1993, he moved on to TaylorMade as their marketing manager. From 95 to 99, he was the VP of sales for Callaway and Odyssey Golf. He then became the executive vice president of marketing and later the CMO for Gibson uh, Musical Instruments. 
And then in 2006, he became the CEO and co-owner of Seymour Putters. Like you hear every week here on Next on the Tee, Seymour Putters have helped win three major championships now, most recently with Zach Johnson this year at the Open Championship. And I'm very excited to get the opportunity to talk with Jim, uh, Jim Grunberg next on the tee with me. Good morning, Jim. Thank you for joining me. Oh, great to be on with you, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, Jim, you've had a heck of a career in the golf industry, and I want to get to all of that. But uh, but I'm curious about that time sort of sandwiched in the middle of your career. How'd you go from roles at Wilson and TaylorMade and Callaway to leading Gibson Music? Well, actually, I uh, I had to leave the industry. I had a non-compete agreement um, after uh, the um, sale of Odyssey was complete. So it was sort of by uh, necessity. But, you know, really the musical instruments uh, – business very very similar to golf the influencers you know i probably don't think about it but uh if you happen to be a guitar player and um, you know you want to know what the tour players are using you go out to see a concert what guitars they're playing with you know it's it's kind of a passion type product it's not really a consumer product uh you know in, in the end of the day you can spend thousands of dollars collect cars and musical instruments if you happen to be a music uh, uh lover and a player of a musical instrument so uh, pretty similar um, business models, really. And I was recruited, and it brought me to a great town, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, where I've been for 15 years. So, you know, I, I'm also curious. You know, I'm a, um, you know, to hear your favorite sort of musical encounter from your time at Gibson. Keeping in mind, I'm, I'm a big classic rock fan, particularly of the band Journey. Did you, did you have, you know, do you have a, you know, an event that you got to be a part of there at Gibson that? Uh, uh, and you're like, wow, I can't believe I got the opportunity to do that. Oh, it was great. Yeah, I mean, I'd say probably, you know, six months into the into the gig, I was out in Los Angeles to, at the Grammy Awards. Uh, that was the 2000 Grammys. Very, very cool. Uh, but probably the funniest story is literally the second day of work there, I was sitting with the uh, owner of Gibson and, um, and one of the uh, factory managers and a third guy, and uh, just kind of a briefing and we were about five minutes into the conversation, and uh, the um, plant manager uh, turns and he says, oh, I'm sorry, Jim. He says, I don't know if you've met uh, Peter Frampton. Peter, Jim Grunberg, Jim, <laughs> Peter Frampton. And uh, I was in a meeting with Peter Frampton, didn't even realize it. Wow, that's a great story. Jim, as you're aware, you know, we're big Seymour Putters fans here on the show. I'm very thankful, uh, for, you know, to Ted Galena and everyone over at, over at Seymour for, for the wonderful partnership we've we've been able to establish. Love the product. It's helped me cut strokes off my game. What led you, you know, from Gibson, you know, you're there in the music industry doing some cool things there, and not only to get back into the golf industry, but really to start your own business? Well, you know, it was uh, – I'd been really the majority of my career in sporting goods with a heavy focus on golf uh, club design and marketing and sales. And, you know, golf was booming. And, uh, you know, if you go back and, and look, you know, it was the, kind of the first uh, half of the Tiger Woods era. And, um, you know, we, we left, uh, you know, not really by our own design. I mean, we were running Odyssey. It was acquired by Callaway. You know, I ran it for a couple of years for Callaway, but then – you know, based on overall business conditions and what have you, they wanted to kind of consolidate and sort of eliminate, uh, you know, the Odyssey company as a company, just really rolled it into a product line, which really didn't fit with what I wanted at the time. And so, you know, sort of, a, a, you know, managing a company that no longer existed. So it was time to move on. And um, and, and as, I just, as, as I told you, you know, unfortunately that did include sort of a, 
hiatus from the industry. But, you know, watching, uh, watching, you know, what was still going on with golf, we had a tremendous network of, of connections. And so my partner and I decided, you know, Hey, let's, let's try and get back into this thing. But we knew how tough it was going to be. And, um, you know, you can spend millions of dollars trying to design something, uh, you know, in, in, in a lab and and on course and, and never really have it achieve anything. So, the more research we did, we kept going back to Payne Stewart, what we consider to be the greatest putting performance in the history of the U.S. Open, um, with a very, very unique, visibly different product, the Seymour putter. And, uh, you know, tragically, uh, when Payne lost his life at the end of that magical season, uh, you know, the brand, which had just sort of just was up and running, I mean, that event put the Seymour Company onto the map. But unfortunately, a few months later, you know, was dealing with uh, – being associated with this terrible, you know, situation. And so I think the brand just never really got a chance to get off the ground. And uh, we, we looked at it and we said, you know, there, I mean, we really don't have to do any R&D on this thing. The technology um, is wonderful. It was proven at the highest level. And um, so we, we really just went out and, and, and tried to find uh, the people that, uh, that, that kind of had, had the trademarks and had the brand name. It, it seemed like it had sort of been, on uh, mothballs and uh, took that. Yeah, it really took us a couple of years to get that thing worked out. And then 2006, we, um, you know, we just we came up with a way to, uh, you know, take the brand and the assets and the trademarks and the designs and relaunch the brand. And we knew it was going to take a couple of years, but ironically, the month that we closed on the deal back in September of 2006, uh, Zach Johnson and Vaughn Taylor were both playing in the U S Ryder cup team. Both had, really achieved their spots on that Ryder Cup team through great putting, and both were using the Seymour putter. So while the Payne Stewart story was certainly the foundation that, that this putter had uh, had helped him, you know, return from a four-year um, victory drought, won twice, won the U.S. Open, um, we were amazed that six years later there were two great young players known as great putters using this product, having been influenced by the great Payne Stewart. So, um, it kind of all came came together then, and then you know, little to <laughs> we, we could have never dreamed that the next major championship, uh, the first major championship after we actually owned the brand, uh, that Zach Johnson was going to come out of nowhere and win the Masters. So, um, pretty much of a storybook uh, fashion, right? Yeah, there. Uh, we were we were back in business. Yeah, so I, mean, I want to touch a little bit more on both of those sorts of things, Jim. You know, I'm curious, range of emotions, you know, when when we lost pain. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, you guys are an up-and-coming brand. You know, you, you get uh, a, a huge breakthrough, you know, helping pain, you know, get get to, you know, the U.S., you know, the 1999 U.S. Open Championship, and, and we tragically lose him. I, I imagine there's all kinds of a range of emotion on both sides of the coin, both losing a great, you know, spokesman, a great, you know, I'm sure friend in Payne Stewart. So you've got a, a huge personal loss that you're trying to deal with. And then also, boy, we're just starting to make some headway here. Things are just starting to pick up and look good. And then, you know, we lose, you know, Payne Stewart and, and probably and maybe some momentum that, you know, could have gone along with what Payne would have gone on to achieve. What was that like? Well, remember, we, we didn't have anything to do with the brand at that time, Chris, so we really didn't purchase the uh, the brand until 2006. But as I mentioned, um, you know, we, we when we did buy the brand, and, and all the research, of course, led back to Payne Stewart. So there is a gentleman who uh, continues to be a great friend of our company. He's our global brand ambassador named Pat O'Brien. And Pat was sort of the link because Pat had been a good friend of Payne Stewart's. Um, Pat had, had studied the way that Payne Stewart used the Seymour putter 
to become the best putter he'd ever been. I mean, he'd always been known as a streaky putter, and um, the word was in Payne's camp that, you know, he was six times a year maybe going to have a chance to win if he could get the putter hot and tied in when his ball striking was, was good, which is pretty much par on tour. But uh, Payne Stewart back in early 1999, um, and again, this is all, you know, I've, I've, I've met all the players. We just weren't a part of it back then. Um, but back at those times, um, Payne Stewart showed up at the beginning of that season um, as sort of a free agent when it came to his equipment. He was not going to sign any equipment contracts. He really wanted to play his best. He hadn't won in four years. He was 42 years old and looking towards – um, you know, trying to get back in the winner's circle again. And so one of, one of the benefits, of course, was that he then went out and really studied equipment, and he found a Seymour putter um, and uh, through a tour rep um, named Arnie Cunningham, through um, uh, his caddy, who, who, who Mike Hicks, who was sort of like, yeah, hey, let's try something here. Let's just see if we can get a little bit more consistent. So they worked on it uh, the very first week they saw it, which was uh, – his first event of the year was Pebble Beach in, two, in uh, 1999. Um, he went out. He actually ended up working with it five hours on Wednesday, put it in play, and ended up winning that event, um, which was rain-shortened, but he won that event. And then he went on to not only win the U.S. Open, but also statistically led the tour in every putting category, um, putts per green in regulation, uh, and regulation, um, and fewest putts per hole. So to be uh, something that had really, you know, turned his entire career back around, and so then, you know, obviously the loss that every golf fan in the world felt was, was deep. And so I think to your point, um, anybody associated with the brand, it was probably a big downer because uh, how can you go out and take advantage of the most exciting moment you could ever want for a young startup and yet uh, be so closely tied with such a tragic story? So I believe mm-hmm. that is why that the brand did sort of just uh, go into sort of a, a downshift and, uh, but at the time, Pat O'Brien, um, who, who, you know, I think as a legacy to pain, he uh, was going to become a uh, teacher and really focusing on putting. He contacted the, uh, the guys that then owned Seymour and said, I'd like to go out on some of the developmental tours and find a couple of young players because I know how this putter over time can help players become much better players. And he, he, he based it all on what he saw pain do. So, uh, the two players that he identified on a Hooters tour at the time were Zach Johnson and Vaughn Taylor, and what a great story. So um, Pat O'Brien ended up ushering these gentlemen through the early stages of their careers, um, and they both started winning. They won on every level. They won, you know, Zach went on and won four times, I believe, on the Hooters. Then he dominated the um, the web dot, or the, you know, what is now the web.com tour, uh, was their player of the year. Uh, won a couple times, went to the PGA Tour, won in his eighth start on the PGA Tour back in 2004, uh, made the Ryder Cup team in 2006, and then won again the Masters and started winning and winning and winning and winning. And then, you know, really put himself in the Hall of Fame just last couple months ago there, um, winning the Open Championship in now what will be regarded as the greatest final round punting performance in British Open history. So right. what a story for for a small hey. brand. Yeah. And, 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 you know, kind of going back, you know, to the point you make a moment ago with, with Zach, you know, w- winning the Masters and, 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 and particularly with the approach that he used to winning that event, really relying on his chipping and his putting, particularly on the par fives, because, he, you know, he's not, you know, the longest hitter out on tour for him to get that win using that approach had to be huge for you guys. What was it like around, you know, see more putters when, the, when he won that event? 
Well, that was incredible because, as I mentioned, we were really just – we had just uh, very excitedly uh, closed on the company within the last six months. We were in the process of putting our, our vision and our business plan together. Uh, we were very limited still in terms of our product offering, and all of a sudden uh, we're the focal point of the entire golf world again. Now, the fact that I'd been in golf before and, and knew everybody um, will certainly help because, uh, you know, the calls came in from everywhere. This is incredible. And it really did relaunch this brand. There's no question about that. Uh, it was very, very exciting. Um, and, and, and I suspect it was a lot like, um, you know, at 1999, to be honest with you, because we were just a very, very tiny little company. Um, and, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, all this global attention. And ironically, not only was Zach a, a huge fan of Payne Stewart uh, and, and you know, sort of modeled his, his, it was going to model his career off of what he had witnessed, but both of them attacked uh, the preparation for those majors very similarly. Payne Stewart um, headed to uh, Pinehurst back in 99 and spent the majority of his time practicing that week with just a putter and a wedge in hand. And to prepare for the 2007 Masters, as you, just, as you uh, mentioned, Zach had a very clear-cut strategy. He was not going to go for the par fives and two, where I think probably 90% of the other players um, mm-hmm. you know, really can't, can't resist the temptation of doing that. So he stuck to a plan, and um, I believe he was 11 under on the par fives using that plan. Right. And now, you know, Jim, as you as you mentioned, this year's Open Championship. You know, take me through the weekend for you when you're when you're watching the Open Championship and you and you see Zach, you know, kind of moving up the leaderboard. And obviously, when when the birdie putt drops on 18, that you know, obviously gets him into the playoff and then ultimately winning. What what was what was it like around you know your household or your you know you guys with the with Seymour putters as you're watching Zach and thinking, you know, wow, you know, he is absolutely putting lights out here. Uh, it was bedlam, and you know it, there was. Uh, I mean, we've become close friends. We've we've watched every one of his victories. I mean, I feel like I've watched uh, you know thousands of hours of Zach Johnson play. And so uh, there's a pattern to many of his wins, and I started to see that pattern unfold. I mean, he was getting red hot with the putter. Um, he he sort of hangs around and hangs around, sort of like in a great horse race, kind of you know second or third at the pole, uh, just with the leader in sight, and. Then he just turns on the afterburners. He kind of saves his best for last. And we saw that two years ago at the BMW Championship at Conway Farms where he blew the field away on the last day with 150 feet of putts made. We've seen that at the Colonial. We've seen it over and over and over, his pattern during his 12 PGA Tour victories. Typically, he'll just hang around close enough, and then he'll just go crazy with the putter on, on the last day. Now, heading into Monday, of course, with the delays and what have you, Heading into Monday, um, he made a huge, huge. He made two huge birdies um, on, on at the end of the third round to kind of get back into contention. And so heading into the fourth round, he was still had 14 guys that he had to pass um, in order to win the Open Championship. So um, it was it was a long, long, long shot at best. And uh, uh, a funny story, of course, is, is that uh, those of us in the office, I think there were some long, long odds midway through this tournament on Zach Johnson, and we never ever placed a wager ever ever um it, it seemed like a big jinx but you know the odds were too long so we asked uh, our friend ted galena to put one down and we of course all thought we had one down and then it was still such a long shot but um as we're watching this thing unfold you know he came out of the gates red hot in the final round and uh um you know really in the front nine that was where the birdies were were, were to be had um he made everything he was making putts from 10 feet 15 feet 25 feet 30 feet from off the green and then he made the five-footers and the four-footers 
um, in the howling wind on those holes that he needed to. And, uh, you know, pretty soon he was up there on top of the leaderboard. Of course, he had some great players behind him because he, he wasn't in the final group. And, um, you know, the last nine holes was just scintillating. I mean, text from around the world during that entire time. And, you know, it's a dream. And, and, and you, you keep thinking, wow, you know, it, it's, it could happen. But, I mean, you had Jordan Spieth and Jason Day and Oosthuizen and Leishman going crazy. And, I mean, like I said, there were ten guys. Adam Scott was in a battle with a few holes to go. So um, this one really felt very surreal. Um, I think it was one of the great shootouts ever in major championship history. And I think, um, you know, we may never see golf play that well under those tough of conditions in a final round of a major. Mm-hmm. And and in the hours and the days, you know, following Zach's victory, I'm imagining the phones are ringing off the hook there. How how have sales been and, and how are things going now, in, you know, over the last couple of months? Well, it's been great. And, um, you know, I think in the weeks afterwards, I mean, the videos, the articles written, of course, um, you know, about the gutty, gritty Zach Johnson. This is very, very much um, like the rest of his wins. He just he has an amazing will to win. He has an amazing ability to close when he gets near the lead, um, much higher than, than, than historically even many of the great golfers out there. Um, in terms of if you look at his top tens to win ratio, um, when he gets when he has a shot, he, he he really rises to the next level. And so that was recognized. It was recognized. The putting performance was was of course um, the lead story. And so I think because of that, um, you know, it just kind of blew the top off of things. And I know in general the industry is kind of suffering through some tough times. But for a small brand like ours, I mean, it's really been um, we've had our best two months in history uh, in the last couple months. And uh, globally, we've got partners out there now that are looking at, uh, you know, 2016 and saying, you know what, this is a uh, uh, this is a brand that I'm going to put some some focus behind, you know, whether it's Japan or whatever, uh, whatever market we're talking about. So I think the open championship, particularly the open championship at St. Andrews, it's the mother of all majors. And uh and I think it has a global significance that maybe we didn't even understand. And Jim, we've talked about, you know, Zach, we talked about Payne Stewart. You've mentioned Von Taylor. Talk about, you know, other players out on tour using Seymour putters. Well, I mean, I think in general, the, uh, the tour more and more, as I mentioned, in kind of tough business times, uh, more and more players are tying themselves up with contracts and what have you. I mean, it's, if you're going to yeah. be a company that's spending a lot of money on a tour player, um, you're, you're asking them to do a lot. You're asking them to carry the pullback. So there's just not that many openings out there um, on the PGA Tour. You know, occasionally we'll have somebody who will break ranks, you know, with, with, with maybe one of their other companies or decide not to take money from somebody that's been paying them to play our product. That's a, that in and of itself is just a huge, huge uh, accolade that, uh, that that would happen. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know, where we've really been making some headway is, you know, through the junior ranks and 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 uh, and what have you, I think uh, this generation of junior players, we've tried wherever we can to reach out to them, and uh, we've got a network of, of teachers um, in place right now uh, called the SPI Seymour Putter Institute. Um, so we have about uh, six to seven hundred in-store sales fitters. If you were to go to one of the big box golf stores, but we have another three hundred certified um, golf instructors who at a higher level give putting lessons and uh they've sort of uh, endorsed the seymour putter and the seymour system and so that's been really cool they all have junior programs they all have they all have juniors that they're getting behind so you know we still see the big impact of zach um in, in the next generation 
so um, in the same way that, uh, you know, golfers of this generation have been influenced. So it's, uh, it's a type of product that uh, it, it, it helps you get better over the long term. I mean, there's no quick fixes. I think, you know, there are people that do love changing putters all the time because they feel like they can maybe catch lightning in a bottle. But statistically, if you really want to become better, that putting the same as with the full game, it's, it's going to take some dedication and, a, and building a system of consistency. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what we have. You know, Jim, when 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 you're out playing in in pro ams and you're, and you're watching guys, you know, using other putters and they're pushing putts here and pulling putts there, you walk over and say, you know what, I got something you might want to try can make you uh, put a whole lot better. Yeah, you know, uh, it is fun. We don't we don't uh, you know like everybody else, we're working hard. We don't get out that much, but we do love to play in an occasional scramble where you know a few of us will be in a, on a team and you know, get everybody start rolling in pots with, you know, we'll, we'll share our putter. And, you know, right now the fun story this summer has been, uh, besides obviously Zach winning the British Open, has been the launch of what we call now the giant FGP. And it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a, it's an oversized version pretty much of the same putter that Payne and Zach use. And higher moment of inertia, but it still performs uh, the same way. Great, great balance. Wants to stay square to the plane at all times. And we get that thing out there at scrambles, and, boy, do we have some fun. And people are hooting and hollering, sinking 25-, 30-foot putts. And, uh, you know, as you said, it's a lot of fun. Jim, remind our listeners how they can follow you and see more putters online and over social media. Putters, uh, it's uh, it's just seymour.com. And uh, we've got a great uh, website, pretty informative about our product and the technology. And then you can see all the different uh, ways to follow us on Twitter and uh you know, we've got an at Seymour Putters Twitter account and, uh, you know, our good friend Ted Galena, who is sort of our director of instruction in the tour. You mentioned his name. He, Cody Hale. Um, we have a lot of great, great people working at Seymour that make things happen. We have our friends and users from around the world, really. If they ever come through Nashville, we encourage them to stop by our our, uh, our corporate headquarters and studios and have some fun and, and uh, get to know some guys running a golf company, uh, you know, this day and age with a lot of big, huge companies that, uh, it's fun to you know. It's fun to know some people that uh, are involved, sort of in the ground floor of a small company, and we invite mm. people to do that. Jim, I hope this is the first of many times that uh, you'll come back and join me on the show. We'd love to you know continue to hear more of you know your stories and your insights, and obviously your successes. We are, uh, like I say, big Seymour Putters fans here, but uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking time and uh, being a part of the show today. You're fantastic. Fantastic. Really appreciate it, Chris. Have a great weekend. Uh, same to you. All the best to you, Ted, and everyone at Seymour Putters. Look forward to catching up with you again soon, Jim. Sounds great. Thanks. Take care. That is Jim Grunberg, the uh, co-owner of Seymour Putters. So uh, please check him out online, Seymour Putter, or Seymour.com is their website. Great stuff going on with those guys. Can't thank them enough for being a part of the show with me again today. All right, folks, it is time for us to put a bow on this one. I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show. Before we close up shop, I want to remind you about the great book that our friend Dave Stockton Jr. and his dad, Dave Stockton, have, you know, have out there for you. It's, it's called Own Your Game. Remember, folks, so much, and you hear us talk about it every single week on the show. Today is no different that so much of the game is played you know, with the space, you know, that five-inch space between our ears. So get your mind right. In this book, you know, the Stocktons let you know how to, you know, play winning golf, how to use your mind to play winning golf. 
It recreates the experience of riding 18 holes with Dave Stockton at one of his highly sought-after corporate outings and draws from his experience as a champion player, both on the uh, regular tour and on the senior tour, now the champion tour, and as a revered coach as well. He shows you how to think better, stay calmer, execute more consistently, and most importantly now, how to enjoy the game more thoroughly. StocktonGolf.com to get your copy. And like we say, for a couple extra dollars, Mr. Stockton will even autograph the book for you. All right, everybody, my sincere thanks once again to Dan Quinn, Missy Bertiotti, and Jim Grunberg for joining me today and for making today's show so much fun for us to be a part of. We thank you for tuning in. We know you have a lot of choices out there for shows to listen to. We appreciate that you've made the choice to to check in and be a part of the show with me you know, this and every week. We appreciate you guys the very most. Please also check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, uh, with me, my co-host, Bob Lazari, our announcer, Joe LaGenusa as well. That show airs you know, live every Thursdays from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find us here on the Armed Forces Radio Network, as well as great sites all across the Internet, Blog Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, Spreaker, TuneIn, SoundCloud. We're all over the place. Please check us out. You can find uh, on online. You can also check us out. This show you can find online at nextonthetea.net. You can stream or download any of our archive episodes from there. Thursday Night Tailgate, where we are the official partners of the NFL Alumni Association and uh, Mike Ditka's organization, the Gridiron Greats. You can check us out online at thursdaynighttailgate.com. Again, stream or download any of our archive episodes for free there, too. So, Again, please check us out. Give us a like on Facebook. You, you find the show next on the T. We got a Facebook page. Thursday Night Tailgate has one as well. Give us a like. That's important to us, too. Give us a comment. Let us know how we doing. We appreciate any feedback. So please check us out online all over the place. Again, one more time, thank you very much for listening today. Appreciate you guys the very most. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Christmas Carol, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Great things are happening at your friendly neighborhood Safeway. Stop by and see all the things that make a supermarket just better. Like new low everyday prices on family favorites. Shop with your club card and pick up bananas for an incredible 48 cents a pound. And for an easy, delicious dinner, get whole roasted chicken for only $4.98. Bigger selections, friendlier smiles, lower prices. Safeway, it's just better. 